And in my time at Living Centered and Onsite, I thought the healthier I got emotionally that my feelings would regulate in size. (laughs) I thought I would like, I thought I would start to have normal size things. And the reality is my, my feelings have not changed in size. They've changed in breadth. I just have more of them. I experience more of them. I, everything I feel is still big. And that actually was kind of hard for me at first because I thought I thought this was part of what was broken that we were going to fix. And what God's showing me is that I was built this way. There's just more crayons available in the box than I was using. I was coloring hard either way. There's just more crayons. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey everyone, today on the Living Center Podcast, we are thrilled to welcome our friend and on-site alumni, Annie F. Downs. Annie is a New York Times bestselling author, sought-after speaker, and host of the That Sounds Fun podcast, a part of Annie's playful network of podcasts created to entertain, impact, and bless you and the people you love. Annie has the unique gift of making everyone she encounters, even through her books and online, feel like they've been lifelong friends. Trust us, you'll likely want to be her BFF by the end of this episode. During this conversation with Lindsay and Miles, and if you listen closely, a special appearance by Maverick, Miles' son, Annie shows up wholeheartedly to share what she's learning about loving the life you have, leaning into the full breadth of our emotions, and chasing the things you're uniquely meant to offer the world. Meet our friend, and yours too, Annie Downs. Annie Downs, it is so fun to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, well, I mean, it is no secret what a huge fan I am of both of y'all and of OnSite. So I am so happy to get to do this. Yeah. Well, you have been an incredible champion and we are so grateful. Yes, I'll add to that. Thank you, Annie, for joining us. So thank you for making time. I know you're super busy in this season and we always love spending time with you. Wow. Thanks. I feel the exact same way. Miles, you got a little background noise. You want to tell everyone what's going on over there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm... uh, uh, leaving town today and we had a little child care gap. So I've got my son with me. Uh, he, uh, so you're going to have a four-year-old in the background reading a book to himself. Hopefully it won't be too disruptive to you, Annie, Lindsay, and or yeah. listeners, but uh, just be part of it today. I think it's great. I know. One of my favorite things that Annie does is she has, it's Monday nights, right? You have like yeah. a story time for young kids. Yeah. Um, so maybe we should have you read a story to Mav. <laughs> That's, right. Um, That's right. Give Mav his own mini BFF book club. Yep. Yeah. Tell me about that one guy you started in it because it just is such a cool thing that has transpired. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's wild is that, I mean, it started because of the pandemic when we first got locked down a year and a half ago, because I always read to my friends' kids. Like I love reading books. I used to teach elementary school. It's kind of like in my bones to read picture books. And I used I read a lot to my friends' kids. And during the pandemic, especially those early lockdown days, 
I was saying to my friends, like, I miss reading to your kids. And do you need a break? Because you've been with your kids all day. So I was like, let me just. So the first couple of weeks, I would FaceTime three or four different families and read them all the same book. And then what ended up happening, I was like, this is insane. Why am I doing this with this many people? And so instead, I decided, let's do it on Instagram. And then any families can join. But I can make sure my families, my like up close families know about it. And I mean, Lindsay, I was reading six nights a week during the early pandemic. And there were tens of thousands of phones tuning in. I mean, it was insane. And so we've just kept it going. Now it's only on Monday nights at six o'clock. But we still have, I mean, we we count, uh, because at the beginning, I always say hi to the kids who are there. So the parents will be on their Instagram and they'll be typing in like, Judah is here and Sarah's here and whatever. And I mean, most of the phones will have, you know, we'll have a couple of thousand phones tune in and the majority of them have one, two or three kids watching along. And so we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe every Monday night I'm getting to read to thousands of kids as their parents just need like a 20 minute break. It is, it's such a gift to me. I love it so much. That's so cool. What is your favorite storybook? There's a hippopotamus at the Cincinnati Zoo named Fiona. And Fiona has like four kids books about her, like Fiona at Christmas time, Fiona in the summer, all these. And the kids love when we read Fiona books. And so, and it's because she's a real hippo right now at the Cincinnati Zoo that you can like go on the website and look up the Fiona cam, you know? So I think those are my favorites to read. That's so cool. I love how you just foster community in your life. And, you know, like, I think that's just one of the things the book club is such just a representation of how intentional you are about just building a rich circle of friends around you and like loving on their little ones. And I'd love for you to just talk about sort of your the season you're in and how you've built that community and sort of what, you know, like what you really value in community. Yeah. I mean, this is really true about your life, too. I mean, we live real life together a lot, but I did not imagine in my life that I would be 41 and not married yet and not have kids yet. And as I got into my 20s and other people started moving into that part of their life and I was not, it it came to this, like, especially toward the end of my 20s, where it was like, you can either get off the bus or find a new, get on the bus or find a new bus, you know, like either get in the lives of your friends who are married with kids or make new friends. And I've actually done both. I mean, to some degree, you do need to have friends that are in your life place that can do things. Single people can do things at the drop of a hat that married people often and particularly parents can't do. You know, we can go like, well, let's go to dinner tonight. And that's just a whole lot easier when you don't have a lot of people that you're responsible for. And so it is important to have people in your life place. But I love being part of villages, you know, like and I think we learned a lot of that during the pandemic of like who you were around uh, in those first few months of quarantine, who your like quarantine club was. And it's just really important to me to have that group of people and to have that, uh, those families that I am a parenting voice in our village. And, and there's probably five families that the kids don't think of me different than any of the other, other parents, you know, like they know I'm not their parents, but we're all grownups who all can correct them when they're doing something wrong or hold them when they're hurt or celebrate them when something's going right. And so I'm just another one of the adult voices in their lives. And I just love it. So that's really important to me that I have people that, that we can jump in and do things, you know, late at night or a group or whatever. And then also have families that let me be part of family life. Yeah, for me too, it's just been so important that even though I hadn't 
haven't had kids. I'm pregnant right now. So that's about to change a bit, but that I would like still get to experience like the loved, I've always loved kids. And so just getting to love on little ones and then just the richness that that relationship brings. And so I think that it's been so important. And I think a lot of times people feel like single people in their lives wouldn't want to hang out with, you know, like boring married people. And that has just not been true in my experience. Like I just have felt so desperate to be able to do those things and to be able to be boring with them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, it always is when when single people and married people talk to me about that, like advice for that relationship, like how do we do this well if we're single and wish we were hanging out with more married people? Or how do we do this well if we're a married couple and parents and we and or parents and we don't know if these singles want to be around us? I'm like, it is a it is a conversation. Like literally all you have to do is talk to each other and say to each other, hey, do you want to hang out with us and our kids? And the single person can honestly answer. The single person saying like, I mean, I had to do this a couple of weeks ago, Lindsay, when all my girlfriends from my little village of families, we were all in the car together. And one of the girls said something like they were all planning a beach vacation of all of them. And I had to say, hey, listen, when you plan that, I would love to be included. And, and they were like, oh my gosh, you would want to stay in a house with all these kids and da, da, da. And I was like, well, I'd like the choice because we do yeah. the rest of our life together. So I'd like the choice because who I'm not going to get invited on any other vacation this year. And so I would like for y'all to include me in that conversation. And I can say, hey, I'd love to be at the beach the same time as you. I'm going to get my own condo. Or I'd love to come to the beach with y'all for half the time. Or yeah, I'm all in. Put me in coach. Like I'll be there for the whole thing. Right. And so it just is a matter of communication to me. You know, I got a little bit of a what would be considered in today's day and age a later start in getting married and starting a family. And I remember having significant pressure, internal and external, on on checking that box. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of it, I, I kind of know the origin of. I had to do a lot of work on it to undo some of those scripts that told me um, where I should be instead of where I was at the time. But I'm curious to hear uh, from you about the where do you think a lot of the or because I, well, I think we can all relate to our culture inadvertently puts a lot of pressure on the idea of the nuclear family system as being the um, idyllic, picturesque component of happiness in our world. And which really puts a lot of strain and pressure on people that that don't have that in their life or maybe not pursuing that picture of what we could, would call happiness. And I'm curious for you where you think the origin of some of that external pressure mm-hmm. uh, is birthed and how it has adversely impacted your story or your walk. Yeah. Well, I think a couple of things, Miles. I think for starters, what – uh, what feels like pressure to men feels like hopelessness to women because mm-hmm. men have a little more cultural control over getting married. And so the pressure feels very high on men of like, why aren't you doing this yet? You're 30, whatever, you're 40, whatever. You go pick somebody, go get this thing started. Culturally, that's what we're told, right? And culturally, women are told, just wait, like, just wait, and and someone's going to come along. And so 
when I'm hearing from single people, I'm hearing from men a lot of pressure. I don't hear women feeling pressure. I hear women feeling hopeless that there's not an option. But I think the origins are really innocent in that historically in culture, people got married a lot younger than this, whatever this is today, right? Like historically in culture, people got married really young and people lived in village size relationships. And we have lost both of those at the same time, right? Independence has been really celebrated. Be a nuclear family and just be a nuclear family and live in a neighborhood where you may not even know your neighbors. And there's no rush to get married. Take your time, live your life, start your career, go and do your thing and think about it later. And those two things happening at the same time that were both innocent and not necessarily bad, um, both of those happening at the same time has shifted culture pretty dramatically in a way that I think has been more damaging to individual humans where it, where it may have led to common good. I think it's led to individual damage. And for a lot of people's lives. So for me personally, Miles, I mean, you, you know this up close to me, but my that is my story is that I never dreamed this would be my life. I thought I'd be married by now. I want to be married. I hope that's what's coming down the line. And yet in the meantime, I have ha I have gotten to learn how to fall in love with the life that I have, how to really appreciate the opportunities that are in front of me, how to really believe that if this is the life God has for me today, there is not a better option I'm missing out on. I have to fight FOMO all the time about everything, about what you, the trip you're going on because I want to go there and and what Lindsay's doing for dinner because I want to be with Lindsay. And, you know, like that that is my whole life and my personality. But it's particularly worth fighting for um, can, I don't want to use that word. I was almost say contentment, but I think that's a really loaded word, particularly for people who have a faith background. It's a very loaded word. So I won't say that, but I will say it is worth fighting to love the life that you have because, because if it's just better that way, it's just more fun to love what's right in front of you and still feel the sadness. If I learned anything at Onside, I learned how to better hold my grieving and my joy together that I learned through Living Center program. But I, I mean, I'm a, I, I love my life. I still have things I want, but everyone does. I mean, give me a person who doesn't have something they want. Because when I get this thing that I want, I'm going to want the next thing. And I'm going to want the next thing. And then I'm going to want the next thing. So the challenge is in a culture that has shifted, in a world that adds a lot of pressure and hopelessness, depending on your day and who you are, can you still hold in one hand, there are things that I want and hold in the other hand, I'm thankful for what I have. And that I think that's the, the human challenge. Gracious, that's strong. And I'm glad you said that, learning to love the life that we're living uh, in, because I can assure you that you, when you find love and you assume it's going to fill this void that you have, if you still don't love the life that you're living, love won't fix that. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've seen, I've seen that happen uh, a lot. And it was a little bit of a wake up call for me. That was a big part of my story. I thought that when I get this buttoned up, all these yeah. things that uh, create this, you know, a little bit of internal strain will just subside and they don't really go anywhere. You know, They don't go anywhere. Right. If, if anything, it's a bigger spotlight on them because uh, you got another human to share that space with. But, <laughs> you know, I like that we're talking about this because it doesn't get talked about a lot. Uh, and, and yet I think we could say we could even spread this out a little wider to say, uh, and you did in a sense that you said there are going to be things in your life that you want and you just don't, you don't have. And I think a lot of people would come to a place like onsite or enter and in, engage into a personal growth or therapeutic process in search of, you know, what's wrong with, yeah. with me, that I don't have this piece. 
and they assume that I'm going to go work on what's wrong so that this part can get fixed mm-hmm. so that I can go check this off the list. And, and in essence, it's, it's, Hey, let's, let's show you what's right. Uh, so that that part you were saying you hold over here, can you learn to fall in love with this part? And I love the way you held that image up. Uh, and if people that are hearing this and not seeing it, you said holding what you're thankful for in one hand and holding the parts of our lives that maybe are in transition or in hope or in hopelessness or in adversity in the other. And can you hold both of those two simultaneously and find some love and joy in the midst? And I just, I love the way you framed that up. And I don't know that I have a question other than I wanted to reflect it back to you because it's what we see day in and day out with the people that come into spaces like this in pursuit is they really have a lot of shame on their story about what they have not gotten or what they think they should have. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I actually think the trick of programs like Living Centered, this was my experience when I was coming to Onsite, is part of you thinks there's a missing piece that if I get this missing piece, it's going to, everything's going to figure out. And the other part is I am so afraid there's a missing piece. Oh yeah. And, and I'm so afraid that what's going to be revealed to me when I do this amount of work on myself is that there is a flaw in my operating system that cannot be fixed. That is a factory flaw, right? And so yeah. you're worried. My worry when I came into onsite was that, that, that what was going to happen at the end of the week is that my small group leader was going to go, man, the problem is you have a factory flaw. And, and there is no fixing you. And, and neither of those things are true, right? None of us have factory flaws that cannot be fixed and cannot be worked on. We all have areas of wounding that need to be seen and parts of our story that need to be talked about. And also, we are not going to walk out of a counseling appointment or a therapeutic week or an, an encounter with the horses that is going to be like, and that was the missing piece. And now I walk out and everything I've wanted is wrapped in boxes waiting for me at the end of the driveway at onsite. And so it is this balance. I mean, I say it to people all the time, Lens, that when I'm when people ask me about onsite, I always say, I I, I left with tools and language that I didn't have for a story I was living. Like that's what I needed was tools and language, right? Versus either finding out that I had a fatal flaw or finding out that there was a missing piece that I had suddenly miraculously found at onsite. Yeah, I, I think for me, it felt like that I was scared if people saw under the surface that they would see what that mm. default was. And part of what the beauty of it, when I actually attended the Living Center program was like, oh, people saw that stuff and they love me even more for it. Right. And, and so just shifting right. of like, oh, it's not a fatal flaw. It really is, as Miles might call it, your superpower. You know, it's this yes. part of ourselves that not everybody should have access to, but when we give people access to it, it's beautiful and it's well-received and people feel more yes. comfortable letting down their guard. And mm-hmm. That's 100% true. You have a way of talking about what can be a hard subject you know, like the, the water we swim on a lot of time and kind of reframing it in a way to where I feel more enthusiastic about what I do based on hearing you talk about it. And I know that's why thousands and thousands of people listen to you and read your books and, and follow your work. Uh, but tell me about where that passion and gift comes from. Do you recognize that you have it? And what do you what, what drives you to want to do good with it? Yeah, you know, I. 
I just think it is more fun to cheer for each other than to be jealous or against each other. You know, like if we've got two choices uh, of liking each other or not liking each other, I think it's more fun to like each other. So that kind of drives a lot of it is that my great, honestly, Miles, that you know this about me in real life, this is real life, but you know what I mean? Uh, I find I get extreme joy when my friends become friends. Like when this person meets this person and they become friends, I that is that is the best to me because all that does is make my friend group more robust, right? Because then now I've got two people I can call who like each other and we can all go to something together. And so it's very kind of you to say that. I think the simple answer is I like when my friends are friends and I like when people know what I love. I'm just a big, I, I I don't love anything small. I mean, this is one of the things I've learned in therapy and in my time at Living Centered and Onsite is I thought the healthier I got emotionally that my feelings would regulate in size. <laughs> I thought I would like, I thought I would start to have normal size things. And the reality is my, my feelings have not changed in size. They've changed in breadth. I just have more of them. I experience more of them. Everything I feel is still big. And that actually was kind of hard for me at first because I thought I thought this was part of what was broken that we were going to fix. And what God's showing me is that I was built this way. There's just more crayons available in the box than I was using. I was coloring hard either way. There's just more crayons. And so, and so Miles, everything I love, I love big. And so I'm, I'm going to be a big cheerleader. I don't have a lot of shame around people knowing that I'm fans of my friends. And so it's really fun for me. And if we're specifically talking about y'all and on-site, I mean, that was a a two-degree shift in my life that that y'all talk about a lot, the two-degree shift. And, and I say that as a nothing else in my life has ever been as big as two-degree shift. Right. Like it is. I went to onsite the Living Center program January of 18. So three and a half years ago. And my life is so incredibly different now than it was that day I walked out. And but it didn't all change in one minute. It was a two degree shift that's had my ship going somewhere else for the last couple of years. So that's a long answer, Miles. Sorry. But the reality is I I, everything that has helped me, I want other people to know exists and everyone that I love, I want other people to know they exist. And that bleeds over into my work, into my faith, into my friendships, into the restaurants I love in Nashville, and into the places I go for therapeutic help. I'm like, everybody know what I love, because my feelings are going to be, you're going to figure it out one way or the other. I might as well just tell you. <laughs> That's so good. Don't you just love Annie? I think she has such a beautiful way of articulating what happens when we lean into the beauty and breadth of our emotions. You know, for a long time, I carried around the belief that some of my emotions were good and others were bad. For example, sad, bad. Happy, good. Angry, bad. Excited, good. But the truth is, our emotions aren't good or bad. They just are. Every single emotion we feel provides us with helpful information in understanding what's really going on beneath the surface. Addressing what's below the surface might sound exhausting, but the truth is, avoiding our emotions is much more exhausting than feeling them. When we leave our feelings unaddressed, they take a toll on our emotional, mental, relational, and even physical health. We can't afford to ignore them anymore. It's time to start understanding our emotions and the power they have to unlock our potential. I'm excited to invite you to join us in Onsite's brand new Emotional Wellness Masterclass. 
Becoming Emotionally Smart. With over an hour of teaching and experiential exercises and an extensive practical workbook to accompany the work, you'll gain the ability to stop obsessing over what to feel or what not to feel and learn to listen to your emotions to live a connected, purposeful, and meaningful life. Sign up before September 30th and save $40 when you use the promo code PODCAST. Head to onsiteworkshops.com slash emotionally smart to learn more and sign up today. Now, back to the interview. You said some important stuff there. Just one I want to reflect back on is when you talked about how you thought you might regulate some of your feelings instead you feel more of them. And we typically don't allow ourselves to feel some of those emotions, particularly have permission to feel them in your way. And what you described is, is feel the fullness of them. So we kind of label them. These are the good ones. These are the bad ones. These are the ones we should avoid. These are the ones we should pursue for happiness. When in truth, when we shelter in place any of our emotions, it creates the same thing that we all experienced over the last 18 months when we were isolated, Daddy, an unpredictable future. Unpredictable moments. <laughs> I mean, the best part is he only needs you when you're talking. <laughs> Lindsay, do you, I mean, do you find that true in your life too, that the more work you've done, the more, the more feelings you've been able to access? Yeah, I've really started to learn more about the feelings that I have not used well the color the I loved your analogy of the colors of like the the ones that I've kept in the box because I didn't think they were appropriate like I I started to pick up the messages when I was really young that I had an explosive temper you know Uh and then I've so I've always as an adult not known how to process anger kind of and so I was so scared that it was going to come out too big that I just quelled it and that that didn't serve me in a lot of ways. And then when I experienced something that I could not deny the anger that I just, I, I like literally almost shut down, which was sort of what ended up sending me into onsite. So I think for me, it's like, Oh, that there are some of those emotions that I, I really need to figure out how I draw with them and color with them and that they're important and they're not bad. There's just like a better way to release them. Something that I talk with my friends who aren't married yet a lot about, and I think this is true for everyone, but this is the context in which I have this conversation the most, is people wanting to shut off hope and and how they just want to stop yes. hoping for the thing they don't have. And just like, forget, I'm just not going to hope anymore. I'm not going to hope anymore. And the interesting thing is the same crayon box, right? Where you go, I mean, you're welcome to cut off hope here. If hope's a seven out of the 10 emotions, if you cut off seven, you're going to miss eight, nine, and 10. And you're actually really hurting the full. Now, of course, hoping hurts. Hoping is not easy and it is painful. And there are moments where hoping feels like it is going to absolutely rip your heart. But if you block out your ability to hope, you are going to lose other emotions that are actually really beautiful. And so the the invitation is, are you willing to go in with any emotion that comes to you and, and learn how to learn how to live with it. I almost say control it, but I don't get to control. I don't get to control waves in the ocean. I just get to learn how to live with them and and how to keep myself 
above them <laughs> and not drown in them, right? But I don't get to control them. So the same is true I've learned with my emotions. Like I don't get to control them, but I get to bring resources to help me ride them. And I get to learn how to stand up and and know what my ground is under me. You know, like there's all sorts of ways to handle it. But man, I am I'm gonna go down swinging with hope. I'm like, we gotta teach people how to hope again. Yeah. Cause I mean, hopelessness, you, when you said that earlier, Ugh. even about the singleness that even that word just feels like, why, why would you carry on without that, you know, or yes. we're living with the hopelessness. And so, yes. and I was glad that you brought it back up too, because I, I think that there's such an interesting tie, or at least there was for me between hope and expectations and having to dismantle the two of mm-hmm. like, I, I can have hope in things, but that doesn't mean I expect them to happen. Yes. And that, that how do you, hope is about belief and belief in good things and even acknowledgement that you deserve those things and planning for the future. And for me, expectations is loaded with, you know, like I deserve in a whole different way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Was that a hard thing for y'all to dismantle or? Yeah, I think so. I mean, for me, I, it is, it is learning what's your hope in, right? Is your hope in the ideas you can create in your mind coming to pass? Is your hope in a higher power that can handle everything with you and for you? Is your hope in your own ability to control enough things that you can get the life that you want? And so I think what you're bringing up, Lindsay, is such a good point of of it's worth a sit down conversation with yourself (laughs) of like, hey, if I'm going to hang on to hope, I better be sure what I'm hoping in, because that's how we protect ourselves. We may not get what we want still, and it may not be an easy conversation to have with yourself, because when those expectations go away, you have to grieve some of that, too, I think. I think I've had to do that. But yeah, expectations that are not, what is it that they say, clear, communicated, and agreed upon, you know, are, are a setup for disappointment. Yeah, I think uh, hope is such an interesting thing to talk about. It feels like a, a commodity in a way, um, mm. like time, except in, in the case of time, you can't, we can't make more of it. I think in hope, I think we can, uh, which is, is kind of nice. And I feel like it's, it's something that we, uh, it is a precious resource, but I think it's something that we, uh, can innovate and pass along to one and each other. I, and I believe that's where we, we get a lot of our hope is clearly there's a source in, in my belief system. There's a source it comes from. I have hope in my yeah. faith. However, um, how I take that and, and share it is how historically that's the way I've received and, and put hope to work in my life. It's made mm-hmm. me want to make room for it. And I've learned to be intentional, but it's not an individual process. You know, I've talked about it recently that, you know, because we are in a season where a lot of people are feeling hopeless. And I talked about uh, how no different than rooms in your home, you have to make room for hope. So in other words, you have to declutter parts of your house in order to make space for hope to live. But I want to be clear that I I experience hope uh, by being around people who are willing to share uh, what they're enthusiastic about and also encourage and affirm my story and what they see in it. We could do that day in and day out. It's probably one of the biggest things we do here at Onsite and it can happen in a lot of different circles. And I'm curious, and, and I think right now, I'll just say this as I'm talking to everybody is I think there, there's a, 
there, we're living in a de- deficit of it because we're yes. not as together as we used to be in the ways that we used to be. And so the tools that have been both beautiful and have fragmented us a little bit, I think we have never had a more responsible time to use those for each other. So anybody, whether you can encourage one person or you're reaching a lot of people, share hope. And and particularly if you have it, because there's people that you'd be shocked at how quickly you can pass something you might have onto another person. And I wanted to ask you about this too, Annie, because uh, your your influence has just continued to grow. You know, as your best-selling books get out there, um, you know, you just you're on a tour right now, which is just amazing. I mean, I just love watching what you're doing, and I'm just curious. So you're you're somebody who I think spreads a lot of hope and and plant seeds with people spiritually and, and emotionally. And having worked with a lot of people who have uh, in, in, you know significant influence with whatever they choose to do as their profession and in how they use it, it can get hard. It can get difficult to figure out. Okay. How does Annie show up super congruent with the Annie everybody thinks they know uh, from what they yeah. hear me say and how I show up in the world? And I'm just curious how that's been for you. And I ask that because I think a whole lot of people look up to and want to pursue something like what you have. Yeah, I have I have two quick thoughts on that, Miles. Number one, I think it's important for people to know that being congruent does not mean you can't have private parts of your life. Right. Because sometimes there's this understanding that if she's the same person behind the scenes and on stage, that means we need to know everything. And that's not that's not true there. We're allowed to have really private parts of our lives. I think what gets dangerous is if you have secret parts of your life. There is for all of us, no matter whether you have 10 followers on Instagram or 10 million followers on Instagram, uh, you, you have a private life. You have a personal life and you have a public life, right? So my public life is where's the tour bus driving next and where are people able to see us? And then my private life is what my what you guys get to know that the rest of the world doesn't get to know. And my personal life is where we balance that. That's where the congruence is, Miles, is, is can I invite people into some of the personal things that are not private or that have been private long enough that we can move them to personal? And, and that gives it a, an opportunity to be public. And that's when people feel like they understand someone, when someone's been vulnerable, when someone's been authentic, is when they've invited us into their personal life. I don't want to be invited into their private life. I want everyone to have a private life outside of what they share on social media or from a stage or beside me at the pool, right? And But I don't want anybody to have a secret life. That's what happens is when you, when you are trying to have a public life, but you don't have a private life, you build a secret life. And a mm. secret life is really dangerous. That's so dangerous because if somebody doesn't know everything you know, I don't have one person who knows everything, but I have a lot of, because I'm not, you know, I don't have someone who shares my house. And so, but I have a lot of people who know most everything. There's nothing that's secret in my life because that's really, I think that's dangerous. But so that's where the congruence comes from for me, Miles. And I also think, a thing I want our friends to remember when it comes to sharing hope is that if you will share what's going on at the very beginning of a story, people get so excited with you and feel the hope with you. 
If you'll share what's happening in the middle of a story and when things haven't gone the way you thought they would and when things have been weird turns, people will feel hope because you're being vulnerable and they're in the middle of some stories too. And if you will share hope at the end of a story, people will feel hope because they'll know that their stories that are starting or in the middle have an end. And so there's a reason to share every part of the story you're living. There's a way that people experience hope in every part of the story you're living. You don't just have to wait till the end. That's so good. I think one of the compliments that I have been saying behind your back, Annie, and I'm grateful to get to say it to your face today, is that it throughout your career, I've just seen you really, it's fun. It's fun because you have a podcast that's called That Sounds Fun. You've written a book called That Sounds Fun. Your life seems really fun. But like, I have watched you work so hard and take risks that have in your career and in yourself that have really paid off. And that I think a lot of people probably see you and just see the fun parts. And I just want to commend the work and the risk that you have put into that. And knowing that we live in a culture where people want to write books and they want to have podcasts and they want to be heard, just speaking to the fact that it takes a lot of work and sometimes you've got to sort of go ahead of yourself. Like I saw you self self publish your first book, you know, thanks to you. You you helped me. Well, you had to have that belief in yourself, you know, like I'm going to do this. I'm going to put some skin in the game and then watching you hire um, someone to lead your podcast network and just how that's helped your, what your influence and then just your business explode is just been so cool. I'm like, a lot of people won't take that step and believe in themselves. They're waiting to be discovered. And so I just wanted to commend you for doing that. What advice would you give around sort of work and people sort of taking that first step for themselves? Yeah, I would, I would say we need the thing you're working on. Like we need your voice telling us your story in music or in writing or on a stage or on a Facebook post. I don't care. Like we need the thing you want to make because no one else can make the thing you want to make. Books may all look the same in shape-ish, but they are all very different. And, and we need what you have to offer. So really, Lindsay, I mean, you said it beautifully, like, You cannot wait for someone else to decide that your work matters. You have to believe that your work matters. Mm. And to someone, even like, so my first book that I self-published, the thing I said to you, Lindsay, and the thing I said to a lot of people is, I just want one book on a shelf that someday I can say to my grandkids that I did. Right. I mean, that was so I didn't know that my work was going to matter to anybody that was living. But I thought I wish my grandparents had written books because I would love to read what my grandparents would have written. And so I did it because I think my words matter to my grandkids who do not exist yet. And so I think that that's what what we have to do is go. I believe that this work is going to matter to someone. And and for some personality types, it, it matters most for them just to get it out of their body. Right. Like the your words matter to you. Your work matters to get out of your body for your own sake, you know. And so just do the work and trust that it ends up in front of the right people at the right time and don't give up on it. Good. I'm curious, uh, too, Annie, you've well, actually, I want to hear this thing, too, because I really like that about how you encourage people to say, um, what is it that you have to offer and recognize that the world needs it? And. I think I, over the years, 
I think I know what I have to offer the world and some of what I am, but it's been hard for me at certain times to get clear on what that is. And I'd be curious to hear that from you. Like if you'd be willing to finish this sentence, what I have to offer the world is. Yeah. Um, what I have to offer the world is friendship. That's, mm. that's what I have to offer the world is, is I, on my last day on this earth, what I hope people say, I hope there are people all over the world that say, I know this sounds crazy, but I feel like we were friends. And, and I want, I want celebrities who I don't know to feel that I want people in their kitchen who are doing their dishes right now to feel that I want people, I I think loneliness is so awful. And so I want people to go, I know this sounds crazy, but being friends with her made me feel less lonely. And it was all, and I know I only read her books or I know I only met her once, or I know I only listened to her podcast, but it sure felt like we were friends. That's, that is the filter. I do everything through miles is I want I do every piece of work I do. I hope on the other side, someone felt like they were offered friendship through the work. So that's how I would answer that. That's good. And I think I feel that. So it's good to be your friend. Thanks. Well, I knew I knew that uh, community was such an important part of what you were building. And it was good to hear it come through the lens of friendship, but also to hear why that mattered. That you, you think loneliness is incredibly challenging and you want people to feel less lonely. That's so good. I got um, one more thing I want to ask. I don't want to forget, but I'm going to try to answer the question. And I won't answer it probably as clearly as you because you've just got me thinking about it in a different way. It's such a good question. I think what I have to offer the world is um, empathy and, and connection. And I I really feel like even before I did a lot of the work that I've been trained in and and done a lot of my own personal kind of work um, emotionally and and spiritually, I've always felt like I had space and um, an opening for people who had parts of their lives that were in struggle. I've just always felt like I could uh, naturally empathize with, and we started when I was a kid on a farm with stray dogs. I just, I had a pack of strays everywhere I went, you know, and, uh, Oh my gosh, this has been your whole life. You've kept a bunch of us strays around you your whole life, Miles. No, I didn't mean it like that. I think we've all got parts of ourselves. But I, uh, I think that's, that's what I, I have to, to offer is just to sit across some other human beings or maybe people I don't even know and make them feel a little more okay about the parts of themselves that they've been doubting and questioning and, and feeling yeah. um, overwhelmed yeah. in. Yeah, that's true. Lindsay, how do you answer that? Yeah, I think mine would be around like making, wanting to make people feel seen and supported. Yeah, you do that. Yeah, the interesting thing is the more you identify that, the more you answer that question for yourself. So if all of our friends listening take a minute and identify that question themselves, it also helps you going all the way back to the beginning, Miles. It also helps you really cheer for each other because we aren't put on the same planet. The three of us are put on the planet for three very different reasons that we've identified. And therefore, what that means is like, of course, I want to do anything to help you succeed, Lindsay. And of course, I want to do anything to help you succeed, Miles, because the world needs the things y'all are made on this planet to do. And so it isn't, it, it, we live in an abundance mindset if we can choose it to go like, man, I, I need everybody figuring out what they're on the planet for and what can I do to help more of the planet know that person? I mean, that's the, that's the dream, right? It's figuring this out and then figuring out how to tell other people about our friends. Come on more of that, please. Yes. I love that. I'm curious, you know, you 
have been someone who is unapologetic about your your spiritual walk and your faith. Uh, you speak about it, you know, openly and every time you get an opportunity to. But yet, as opposed to other people who might be considered faith-based leaders or people who have influence in that space, you, you have a way, I think, of, of making it very approachable. That's something that I really respect. And, and, I, and I, I think because of that, uh, it feels inclusive, you know, to people who may not believe the way you believe, um, but they still can benefit from hearing from you. And and in, in today's world where um, there's so much uh, polarity and, and just disconnection, and we're all trying to figure out the right way, I think, uh, to, to love the world uh, and, and yet stand true to what we believe. And that's not an easy thing to navigate in today's today's world. And I just I like the way that you do it. And I'm curious uh, if you'd comment on what's that been like, you know, as, as you continue to evolve. I'm sure you're reaching a more even more secular group than you used to. And yeah, yeah talk a little bit about that. You know, Miles, it, I mean, it's the same it's the same conversation we're having. It's everything I love. I love big. And everything I love, I love telling people about. And and the biggest, truest thing in my life is God. And and the thing that is, I mean, I say a lot that Jesus saved me once, but he rescues me all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I, how do I not tell people? But the, the advantage of me being big about everything that I love is that our friends who don't believe everything I believe also hear me talk about international soccer. And if they don't like international soccer, we can still be friends. Right. Like they also hear me talk about Nashville. If they don't want to come to Nashville, we're still going to be friends. I'm just not going to sacrifice friendship on the altar of us liking all the same things at the same time. I think that's a real um, I think that's a real mistake that I saw happen in my upbringing of faith of like, hey, these people are on your team and these people are not. So if they are on your team, here's what you can share. If they're not on your team, here's what you can share. And and what I have really enjoyed as a as a grown up is going like. I'm allowed to have friends who don't believe what I believe, even after they know what I believe. It is one thing to say, oh, yeah, I, all those people are very different than me and what and their belief system. But once I tell them and then then they know my things I love the most, if they disagree with me, that puts them on the other team. But they didn't know before. So bless them. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not on them. It's on me. And and what I have experienced as a grown up, Annie, has been. Man, it's not in my hands to convince people what to believe. It is in my hands to tell them how my life is working out and the center of my life working out the way it has, has been my relationship with God. And so I present that to my friends as the truth of my story. And then I, that's all, it's not my job to make them change what they think about God or international soccer or Edley's or Burger Up or long hair or short hair, like, because I think let's do this for the long haul. And at some point you may need the thing that has saved my life and you'll know how to find me. And so, uh, but Miles, that's such a huge compliment because the goal of my, that you said to me, because the goal of my life is, is that people would feel like we're friends, even if we don't agree on everything. I just feel like that is such a, a high value to me um, that people who don't believe everything I believe would go. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I believe everything Annie says about her experience with God. For me, I believe it for her, but I do like being friends with her. And um, 
That's why I'm on this planet. Well said. And and I just want to say, too, that I asked that question about, you know, faith because in God, because I know you talk about and share yeah. that piece a lot. But same applies for, as you, you, you said this, too, but the same applies for, for mine and Lindsay's space, the space we work in. You know, it can be really approachable or it can turn people off in a minute, depending on how you frame it, how you talk about it, how you share about it and uh, and really how you live into it. I think when we come around one another with beautiful things that have entered our life, and in my case, emotional health and my faith, and I can share those in, in, in a way that we can, we can be friends through the disagreements, the good days and the bad days, like you said, I think that's a beautiful way to, to start building more bridges. And that's what mm-hmm. I, I think we've got the best opportunity we've had, at least in my lifetime as humanity, to, to build bridges because we've just come through this season of, uh, of, of challenge and, and to where we're trying to figure out who's who, where do we belong and who do we belong yeah. to? And I think we all belong to each other. And it's a good That's time right. for us to lock arms and, and hopefully uh, navigate this new season in a way that more people feel seen and valued and feel like they've got a friend. That's right. That's right, Miles. Annie, thank you so much for being with us. It's sure great being your uh, friend. I just love y'all and I love OnSite and I'm, I'm so thankful. It feels like a real joy to get to chat with y'all today. So thank you for having me on. You too, Mav. Good job, dude. You did good, buddy. You're so good, man. Thank you, Annie. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call one 800 341 Three two, or visit onsiteworkshops.com.